ask them at all uh, for coming here. It reminds me of a passage in Scripture of the transformation that's happened since I've come this morning. It's written that no eye has seen and no ears heard and no uh, heart and mind of man has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And um, you may have, like I have, heard numerous messages uh, on that text talking about how we can't even uh, understand the glories of our home to come. But that's not where the passage stops. It goes on to say, but God has now revealed them to us by his Spirit. And, um, and he does that for us. He reveals himself. He reveals some of the glory of our home that's waiting for us. And I walked into this building today and in a lot of ways just kind of wished I were somewhere else. And then I began to say hello to people and interact with my brothers and sisters. And uh, we came in the Sunday school class and we opened the Word of God Again, there's something that happens when God's word is opened, and um, and then God meets with us at times like this. And so I went from feeling dull, flat, inflated, lifeless, to just being glad that God is who He is, and being glad to be here with His people. Really is no other place that I'd rather be. And I knew that even when I felt dull and flat. So you're here today. You're in God's house with God's people. And today we're going to look into God's Word as we always do. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Read there. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. And suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. All men are like grass, and all their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Would you pray with me, please? Father, um, we thank you that you are uh, faithful. Uh, we thank you that um, you've promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And we confess there are times, Lord, when we don't, um, we don't uh, experience that truth times when, when we feel like we're all alone in the world, and yet the truth is you're there for us. 
thank you, Lord, that you promise us to be to continue the good work that you've begun in our lives. We thank you that you are ever faithful. We thank you for the things that you've already done in us. And we thank you for those things that you will do yet. And Father, as we come here today and gather around your word, we do ask you to speak to us. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to your truth. And Lord, help us to hear your voice, to embrace your word, to change the way we live by the power of your spirit, to put into practice the things that you say to give you the credit and the glory for it all. And we ask the things we ask, we offer you our prayers and ourselves in the name of Jesus Christ, our wonderful Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, I wonder um, how many of you have heard or uh, been a part of a conversation that goes something like this. One person says, come on, we've got to go do something, and then names that something that they've got to do. And the other person replies, uh, who said so? <laughs> Meaning, of course, by what authority are you telling me we have to do this? I remember having that uh, kind of a conversation dozens of times as a kid. And I was part, I've heard those conversations more times than I could count. And that question, um, who said so, is a kind of a challenge. And the person who asks it isn't uh, necessarily saying that they aren't going to do it, and, or even that they don't want to do it. They just want to know who's giving the orders. And so if it's a coach or a teacher or a mom or dad, well, even if he or she doesn't want to do it, they know they at least should. And if, on the other hand, it's just the other kid's idea, uh, he or she may do it, but they know they don't have to. And so that question, who said so, is an important part of the vocabulary of young people, but it's also important to us, too. I mean, we don't always ask the question, at least not so directly or bluntly, but we often analyze uh, things uh, in light of who's saying it. For instance, if you were experiencing some physical problems and, and then you began to tell me what your symptoms were and I, uh, I made a diagnosis, you probably wouldn't uh, pay very much uh, attention to what I say. You wouldn't put too much stock in my diagnosis, and rightly so, because uh, I have no real medical uh, expertise. On the other hand, if, uh, if a nurse told you something, you would pay more attention to that. And if it was a doctor, you'd still pay even more attention. And yet even more if it was a specialist who made the diagnosis after a battery of tests. And so the qualifications of the one behind the statements are important to us, as they should be. Otherwise, we would find ourselves doing and believing all sorts of contradictory and silly and foolish and even dangerous things. And the more trustworthy,
authority, the better the qualifications, the more sure the authority, the more confidence we can have as we act on what we're told to do. Indeed, those when those things are high, it becomes a, well, silly or foolish or dangerous not to act on what we're told, not to do what we're supposed to do, and it really is contradictory to good sense. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at something that we as Christians are told to do. And the church, really down through the ages, has generally recognized that this thing is important. Uh, in some way, they have recognized its importance. But in some ages, uh, the church has done a better job in putting it into practice than others. And, and those times where the church is kind of loses sight of this uh, this thing where they really aren't practicing it. Well, those are times of stagnation, and if that stagnation goes on long enough, then it becomes a kind of deterioration. And then those times when Christians really are putting into practice uh, uh, this thing that we're supposed to do, those are times of growth for the church. And the church flourishes and Life and love and faith are on display. Now, this thing that we've been told to do, which the church dares not to lose sight of, which we, we need to embrace and live out in our lives, has uh, even been given a title. And, and I really don't know who first called it by this title, and I don't know how long ago it was, but I know that it's a, it's a fitting description, a fitting uh, title. And, and most Christians in our day know exactly what we mean when you or I refer to the Great Commission. They probably even know where it's found in the Bible, though it is referred to and restated in many places in the New Testament. The passage that comes most readily to most people's mind is Matthew chapter 8, verses 17 and so I want to invite you to join me there in Matthew chapter 8. And, of course, it will be up on the screens, but if you have your Bibles, it's good to be able to turn in them so you can make notes if you need to, and uh, you can see larger context if you'd like. And so this great commission is uh, Jesus' commandment for us to go into all the world and make disciples for him, as we read in verses 19 and 20. Therefore, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. And we could say that this is the marching orders of the church. It's the direction that that we need to be heading in our lives. And I, and I think you really could, could kind of compare it to the early settlers uh, of the West in our nation as they made their way uh, across our country in their wagon trains. You see, they were all going somewhere. They, they had a goal. They didn't know exactly what they would meet. They didn't know how hard or how difficult it might be. They didn't know what kinds of problems that they would encounter, but they went. And every day as they went, as they were going, making their way across the country, they still had to live. They still had to do the same kinds of things that they did before the journey began. They had to eat. 
They had to prepare the food to eat. They had to bathe. They had to wash their clothes. They had to clean the dishes. They had to take care of their animals. They had to do maintenance on their home, which was a wagon for those times. And, And so it is as we endeavor to fulfill the Great Commission. We still have to live. We have to live as Christians. And uh, so as we gather together and worship, as we love God, as we love one another, as we gather together in the small groups or Sunday school class or church service or fellowship times, in all of those things, we still live as Christians, but our marching orders are found in that Great Commission. It's it's the way, it's... uh, it's God's commandment to us. It's our marching orders. And, and that's why we really do. We tell others about Jesus. Uh, we, we live our lives. We, we try to follow him and honor him. But when the opportunity presents itself, we tell others about Jesus. And we, and we send missionaries to the far corners of the earth. And we do all of that because Jesus told us. And so what I want to do, kind of as a reminder today, as a kind of encouragement to us, as, as a way maybe hopefully of appreciating more and, and gaining more light when it comes to our marching orders, that great commission, what I want to do is I, I, just want to, I just want to take some time and look at just who it is that gave this commandment. You see, Jesus issued this great uh, commission, and from this section of the scripture that we're going to look at, there are six things that we can discover about the one who demand, uh, commands us to go, and we're to go wherever he leads us, whether it's right here in our own neighborhood or whether he leads us across the oceans, we're to go, and we're to make disciples for him. And maybe the very first thing that we need to understand here is that Jesus really knows us and understands us inside and out. And so this commissioning uh, uh, took place after the crucifixion, right, and after the death of Jesus Christ. It's the resurrected Christ who gives us those orders, and, and, and he's the one who has the power over life and death, over sin and death and Verses 5 and 6 of this chapter, you remember the ladies had gone first thing on that first Sunday morning to the tomb, and they were going to anoint the body of Jesus, and they got there, and an angel tells them, I know who you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he's not here. He's risen. And, and then we come to, to verse 17 here, and, and that occurs well over a week after that first initial encounter that Sunday morning. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and it's really a kind of a fascinating commentary to our human condition. You see, the disciples had gone to meet Jesus at a particular mountain that he told them that he would be at. And verse 17 says this, When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And we're going to have a little bit more to say about verse 17 and but I want you to notice what it says there at the very end. Some doubted. You know, it, it, it's fascinating to, to, to see that even at this point, maybe 
10 days, 13, 14 days later, that some of the original disciples, some of the original 11, still doubt. And I have to tell you, I think that's part and parcel of our sinful nature to doubt. I think it's something that we we have to battle all of our lives long. At least I know I haven't arrived yet. I haven't gotten to a place where I no longer doubt. I mean, I trust God. I, I love Him. I believe in Him. I try to live for Him. I just don't know how everything's going to work out. And sometimes I'm assailed with these doubts, and I have to do battle against them. And I want you to notice what Jesus did at the beginning of verse 18. Right, right after being told about those who doubted, we read that then Jesus came to them. All of them, including the doubters. See, they saw him, and then he came to them. This man who has been crucified, who, who had died and was resurrected, he was and he is alive, and he came to them, I think, to encourage them. It's the resurrected Christ who gives us this commandment. And he knows our weaknesses. He knows us inside and out. He knows our doubts. But if we look to him, he comes to us. And we find courage and assurance because of who he is. And so we're commanded to go by Jesus, this Christ, this man who was resurrected. And he knows you, and he knows me, and he knows all of our foibles, our doubts, our sins, and our failures. If we look to him, he will come to us and encourage us. The second thing I think we can note here, and we've already uh, mentioned it, is that it's the resurrected Christ who gives this commandment. And I, I really think that sometimes the the wonder of that resurrection escapes us. And, and maybe if it's only from familiarity, because we talk about it so much, right? We, we tend to lose the wonder of that truth that Jesus Christ was resurrected. So let me see if I can, um, well, if I can maybe remind us uh, somewhat of just how astounding that truth is. So back in about the early 1800s, I think it was, it was a, a French statesman and diplomat by the name of Talleyrand, and, and this is a true story. There was this guy that had started a religion. He was an originator of a new religion, and he couldn't get any converts, and so he went to this guy, Talleyrand, and he, he said, well, what, what, do I, what do I do to be able to get converts? And Talleyrand uh, responded by saying, well, I recommend that you get yourself crucified and die, but be sure that you rise again three days later. And, of course, that's no easy feat, is it? I mean, I mean, we're not about to do that. We're not going to step out and do that because we know that power does not lie in us. But Jesus Christ made that claim, and he made good on that claim. He is the resurrected Christ who has power over sin and death and even our doubt. And so this Christ, who was resurrected, who knows us inside and out, all of our fears, all of our doubts, has commanded us to go into all the world, here, every 
there and everywhere and make disciples. And this Christ, this resurrected Christ, also loves and loves fully. He cares about all people everywhere and really throughout time. Um, he knows us. He's resurrected and he loves everyone. And so John 3.16 says, it's so familiar, but we all know it, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And Jesus Christ demonstrates his love for the world by sending his disciples. So we read in verse 19, in the very beginning, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And the reason Jesus does that is because he cares about people. He loves all people everywhere. So we think about it. The history of humankind really is painted with the black brush of war. I mean, people fighting against people and nation against nation. And we really care for our own hearts. And, and, and we do give our sons and daughters to fight for our nation. We may be reluctant in some ways to do it, but we do it. But who ever heard of someone giving their sons and daughters to fight for people who are their enemies, to fight and even die for them? And yet, Christians all over the world do that regularly. We give our sons and our daughters, not without some trepidation and fear, but we give them to fight against an enemy that's greater than any army of any nation, sometimes to fight on so foreign soil for the souls of people who seem so different from us and may even hate us. And we do so because Jesus Christ commanded us. And whenever we see people when I look at my cousin's daughters who serve in India, and I see people who, who travel to other places in this country or other places in the world, and, and they put themselves at risk in however it is, it, it helps me to see and understand what Jesus Christ did for us better. But, but make no mistake about it. It is Christ's love and his commitment that inspires us. And, you know, while our world is in constant turmoil, there really is one steady movement bringing eternal peace to the souls of sinful men and women. Christians going and spreading the gospel, not because it's natural for us to do it, but because of the nature of Jesus Christ is being so we go because Jesus loves everyone because he loved us he came because he loves them we go he knows us inside and out and he is the resurrected Christ and Jesus uh, is also one who has absolute and complete authority. And so in verse 18 we read this, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, he's got the power of God because he is, of course, God. And that word there that we just read, that word authority in heaven and on earth, that really 
also means power. It has both ideas, both the, the authority and the power to carry out that authority. Now, sometimes in human situations, a person is given, well, what's called authority. They're, they're made responsible for some group of people or some situation, but they really don't have any real power to affect things. I experienced that one time as a manager in a store, and, uh, and I had this girl who worked for me, and she was disruptive. She didn't do her job. I mean, and, and she seemed to get away with murder all the time, and it, and and other people had to do her job. It was an awful thing. And, and and all I could do was write her up. I didn't have the authority to fire her, you know. And and I would write her up and try to follow through with it, and upper management never did anything with it. And they kept making excuses. And, and then and then one day I had her. <laughs> I had her. She left early. I had somebody else punch her out. And you see, there was no way that they couldn't demonstrate that because everything that happened in that store was and so they could see what time she left, and they could see she had never come back in, and they could see what time the time card punched, and they never did anything about it. It's an awful position to be in, to be supposedly responsible, supposed to have authority, and yet not have any power. But Jesus, he has both the authority and the power. Nothing happens in this world that he doesn't know about. Nothing happens. It's too big to him. There is no place where he has, uh, where he does not have the authority and the power in the heavens or on the earth. There is no limit at all. Uh, uh, all of that uh, powerful people in the world, whatever they can do, is just weakness in comparison to God. But he has that absolute and complete authority, and he uh, would, uh, has an ability to keep his people from death resurrect them if he chooses because of the power that he has. Whatever happens, whatever comes our way, God is still in control. And so this Jesus, who has this power, uh, who knows who we are, who is resurrected and who loves everyone everywhere, this is the one who has given this commandment to go into all the world and with the gospel also one who is worthy to be worshipped because he is God. And so you all understand that it's a teaching in the Bible that only God should be worshipped. Him and him alone. And, and any being that is good refuses to be worshipped because worship belongs to God and God alone. Only he should accept it. And so we know Paul and his companions were, uh, at one point, uh, uh, they thought he was the god Zeus or Mercury, and they were going to sacrifice to him, they were going to worship, and, and Paul turned that down, and he got stoned because of it, but he turned it down, and angels, every good angel that's ever offered worship says, don't do that, I'm only a fellow servant with you, worship only belongs to God. Satan seeks it. He wants it. He, he wanted to be exalted greater than God. And he tempted Jesus and tried to get Jesus to worship him. And Herod, King Herod, uh, accepted worship and worms in. And then we come to Jesus, who, who is almost an anomaly if we don't understand he is, because he's good. And yet he accepts worship 
every time it's ever offered to him, he accepts it because he is God and he's worthy of worship. And so we read in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. You see, every place in the Bible where Jesus is offered worship, he accepts it. In fact, the Bible tells us that God the Father commands even the angels to worship his son because he's worthy of that worship. He deserves it. He commands it. It belongs to him. That's who this is who gives us this commandment. He is He's the one who knows us inside and out. He's the one who loves everyone. He's the one who was resurrected. He's the one who has all authority and power, and he is worthy of worship. He's the one who commands us to go. And finally, he's the one who's with us forever and ever. So we read at the end of verse 20, And surely I am with you always to the very end. If I were to try to paraphrase that, to catch the meaning of that, I'd say something like this. I'd say, pay attention. What I'm going to say to you right now is really important. I am. Those are the words that Jesus uses. In the Greek, he doesn't have to do it that way, but he does. I am. Ego, a me. Words, God speaking. And he says, I am He's saying he's with me, and, and he's with you, and he's with people on the other side of the globe, and he's with us always, and he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, and he has been with his people from the very beginning all the way into our day, and he will be with us always. He is with us, and only God can say that. Only God can be everywhere at once as Jesus is with his, his people. You know, one of the wonderful things when you think about heaven is the day is coming when we never have to say goodbye again. So there, there are people that have moved away from me or I've moved away from them and, and, and I likely won't see them anymore. Maybe I'll get a chance to go and visit them, you know. And I've had to say goodbye to them, and I felt sadness about that. I felt sorrow about that, you know. And then there are people that I love who have died, and they've gone on, and I've had to say goodbye to them. And I felt that sorrow and that sadness. And one of those great hopes that I have is that day when I'm in heaven again, and I'm reunited with those people, and I will never have to say goodbye to them again. But you know, when it comes to God, we never, ever have to say goodbye. He is with us always. It doesn't matter what things are happening in our life. It doesn't matter how much we might doubt. It doesn't matter what we might be afraid of. 
with us. And he will never leave us. And that's the one who tells us. As individuals, and as a church, that we need to go into all the world and make disciples. We don't think about that every We come to church on Sunday and we look at God's word and we worship and we sing. And all of those things are good and they're right and they're proper. But somehow there has to be this, this idea that, that floats around us that, that kind of comes in and out of our consciousness, becomes a kind of a part of our heart and who we are that reminds us that outside of the walls of this building here, Outside of our home, there are people who are lost and dying and are going to hell. And we have a message that will save them. And that's our marching orders. And everything else we do, that's got to be part of it. And some people, God touches and calls him and says, I know him. I know him who knows down inside and out. The one who has been resurrected. The one who loves everyone everywhere. The one who has all power and authority. The one who's worthy of worship. And the one who's promised never. That's that thing. It'll change us. It'll affect everything we do. Individually. As a church. And people will come to know Christ. And they'll be changed. There's uh, more that could be said about that great commission, the kinds of things we do, how we go about it. Maybe for us right now, the most important thing is to remember who it is who gave it. But Lord, if there's any uh, anything in us that is keeping us from seeing, understanding, please remove it. Help us to see. 